That's the stuff. Mm. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number 10 of Catching Foxes. This podcast is brought to you by LeVangelist.com, your great place for... (laughs) Oh, Luke, I haven't even been drinking. This is what happens. I'm literally... It is 100 degrees in Houston, and I turned off the air conditioning in my whole house (laughs) for you for the next hour. I'm going to be sweating profusely. For the glory of Luke. Luke, why don't you introduce the podcast? You did that last time. I ended up having to cut it out, but it was brilliant. Go for it. Welcome to Catching Foxes, your non-crappy podcast about faith and culture. Uh, I'm Luke, here with my buddy Gomer, host of the website layevangelist.com, and we're here to talk about the real issues. The realest issues. Donald Trump's hair. Go. I enjoy a buff Ben Affleck as opposed to a scrawny Ben Affleck. What say you? He is... He's my cup of tea. I gotta be honest. I I like Ben Affleck. I, I actually had a thought about this. this <laughs> you kind of you kind of like what am I? It, you kind of hurt a little. You're like, oh Ben Affleck, and then you're like Affleck. I said Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> Affleck. Affleck. Okay, Ben. And then but then it's kind of like with um... <laughs> You know what's funny? I just realized that's Tom Hardy. Are you are you serious? Oh, I didn't know who Tom Hardy was at the time. He's great. Yeah, no, he wasn't. It was a horrible character. You thought it was, I thought it was awesome. Luke, how did Bane eat? How did Bane eat? How did he t- drink? How did he hydrate himself? <laughs> who cares? It's a, it's a film about a grown man who dresses up as a bat and beats up people. Are you really going to be that tied to, like, how does this and this happen? I am so hurt right now. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, he dresses up as a giant bat to scare villains, okay? And to now be listen, a symbol. I know he wants to become an idea. He can become more than just a man. Blah, 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 Liam Neeson. You take that back. Listen, I love, Liam. Listen, I love Batman Begins. It's one of my, that franchise is one of my favorites. Then stop. Stop everything you're doing right now. You're hurting <laughs> me, Luke. I didn't. <laughs> How does he eat? In the comic <laughs> books, he was a, a, a luchador. He was a wrestler. And they wore a wrestler mask. And yet, <laughs> in the movie, he's wearing a various piping apparatus for his lungs. I don't... How does Mr. Wayne eat his soup? Oh, babe. Punch the keys. <laughs> we just keep recycling old stuff. <laughs> because now. that one guy keeps saying that he likes it, and I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Well, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to uh, get get rid of all the craziness that we just had. That's the sound of this backing it up. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, a few things, but more importantly, okay, so we have a phenomenal podcast. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, episode seven was our first interview show. Now, I was nervous as hell to do that interview show, especially since it was with a real person and uh, not one of us pretending to be a third character. <laughs> And it was like a legit, like she actually did stuff with her life and, you know, was known for those things. It was, and was what you call in quotes, a professional in quotes. Yes. Uh, Arlene was awesome. The episode is interview with Arlene, the Virgin. Um, but talking with her just got me so excited about like interviews and all of this mm-hmm. stuff. And then the, so she's a chastity. Well, okay. She is an author of a chastity book. And because of that, she does chastity talks, but she is a, in her profession, she's a journalist for Florida's number one circulator, circulated newspaper. Uh, uh, what is it? The Tampa Bay 
Times, Tampa Bay Times. And so she is awesome. And she, she her book is, if you haven't read it, uh, Chastity is for Lovers by Arlene Spensley. It really is a great book. Uh, despite the cover, it's actually for men and women, uh, not just for women. Um, I realize I emphasized that wrong. Uh, men and women, not just women. Um, but she, uh, she's, <laughs> the cover does need to go. But um, she, awesome book, really well written. Um, really nails home the point that chastity is not just abstinence and we're doing our teens a disservice by only talking to you about abstaining from sex until you're married instead of the beautiful gift of chastity. But that got me, that got us thinking like we finished the episode with her and then we just kept talking and then we decided to go right into the pornography episode. And so the pornography episode was actually recorded about 15 minutes after our conversation ended with Arlene. And it was very, the thing that I love about that was it just happened. Yeah. Like we just started to record. Yeah. Pretty much. Like we literally were just sitting there and you're like, do you want to record this? And I'm like, I kind of already am since we didn't hang up. (laughs) My program just automatically records and you're like, okay, let's do this. So um, episode number eight of uh, Authentically Honest About Pornography, um, that is our most popular episode to date. Uh, Arlene listened to it and is like, how is this not viral? This is phenomenal. So uh, because people aren't talking about pornography, because they're not talking about their experiences, their brokenness, because they're not being honest to a point of vulnerability, um, other people suffer. They stay in the dark. I think that was like the point of the episode, right? I think I mean, we're honest with each other about that stuff. And the hesitation, not, not necessarily the hesitation, but the challenge was to be honest with people that we don't know about that stuff to broadcast it. Yeah. To, yeah. To basically go here, <laughs> to you go. syndicate it <laughs> to like put it on Facebook and go, well, well, my mom doesn't hear this, <laughs> like, you know, or like that was the risk. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I knew that was, I knew that was the, Oh, this is what we are. Like, like if, if, if anyone were to ask what is catching foxes, I'd say, Hear this episode. That's this is what the show is, and I, I knew we'd had that moment. I think we were also building towards that. Yeah. So I knew it was going to resonate, and I was. Ex- and there's still uh, some people who've had some thoughts on that that haven't, um, that have not gone to yet. So I'm excited to go and hear that. But the interesting question is, and this is a thing that I kind of think it's good for us to have this conversation with our listeners. Where do we go from here? Yeah, because the funny thing was the follow-up episode after that wasn't a follow-up episode. It was like its own standalone episode. And we referenced the earlier ones, but we didn't really connect it to the idea of pornography um, and some of that stuff. So I went back and I've been listening to the last two episodes and kind of like how do – like do I feel – I felt like they were disjointed, right? Because the second episode – because we just did the pornography one like all in one kind of thing. You know, we ended the phone call with Arlene and then we went right into that. And then the following week, or, or to no, be honest, was, two weeks later, yeah, a two week gap. <laughs> yeah, um, and then we recorded the standalone show, which was brilliant. Episode nine, um, mm-hmm. I think one of our funniest ones. But uh, the problem was, um, I started pushing out that episode eight to men that I know, um, and to women that I know, and to actually a whole bunch of group, all different groups of people, um, to get them to think and talk about pornography. And uh, to get them to think about it. No, to get them to talk about the issue and all this different stuff. Uh, to plunge them into mortal sin. Um, that porn. Yeah, but uh, And the thing that I'm getting after I re-listened to it, I said, you know, I felt like the one thing we missed was we didn't leave a lot of room. And this might sound weird, but for grace. Uh, mm. And what I mean by that is we talked a lot about the brokenness of it and about like kind of clawing our way out of it. But like, but now what? 
Or how do you, dear listener, who's stuck in the middle of it, what are the the best things that you can do, you know, to have hope in the midst of the struggle and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a good point because I, I think we kind of um, we talked about it through a a lens of this is a problem, but I don't think it, it was desperate either, though. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just this is us. Yeah, um, absolutely. But one of the one of the things that I do is in working with teenagers and adults who find themselves in these situations is that we can't forget um, we can't forget that it's not us who heals ourselves. I think that's the biggest thing that uh, it's it's this constant trap that we can get into um, in our Catholic faith in general is that we constantly figure out we constantly try to figure out how we can save ourselves how we can be the saviors. And the problem with that is, number one, God is not an American, and I'm an American, so clearly I'm not God. <laughs> Darn tootin'. <laughs> but the other thing is, that's a heresy in the Catholic Church called Pelagianism. That was condemned. St. Augustine slapped him around with his theology on grace. And I think the biggest problem for us as Catholics is functionally, we are Pelagians. We believe that Christ was gave us an example to follow, but other than that, we can achieve heaven and happiness on our own, by mm-hmm. our own merit. Uh, you know, and and there's a huge problem with that, which is I don't rely on God's grace. I don't rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't call on them in prayer. So you find all these Catholics who think, number one, they think being Catholic is a moralism. We just do these things. Don't do that thing. And mm-hmm. then you combine that with this Pelagianism and it's like, yeah, you know, whatever. Just try harder next time. And that is bad. That is just a bad, bad, bad mentality. I agree, but let me ask you this. This is something that yes. I've been struggling with a little bit, is how do you approach it then in a way of I desperately need God's grace without constantly being spiritually and emotionally exhausted? Right, okay. So I think the biggest problem that we can have in approaching pornography, any addiction, any repeated sin, any habitual sin, I think the biggest issue is, number one, we've defined ourselves by it. Right. So for me in my pornography addiction, I defined myself by it and I felt like I didn't have any hope because I was doing this mortal sin over and over and over again. There was no hope for me. So in turning my life around, the first step is what? It's acknowledging that my identity comes from someone else. My identity does not come from what I do. My identity comes from the God who made me. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah, so that's step one because people uh, often and, and Catholics I think are very guilty of this, but I think it's a human trait is we want to skip the necessary first things and just get right to the ta- tactics. You know, just tell me what I need to do. Just tell me what I need to know. It's like, well, you know, it's like, uh, hey, you know, we can give you this medicine to cure your heroin addiction, but it won't cure your heart, and you'll just find something else. Uh, uh, just give it to me. You know, when you're like, yeah. well, no, like you're still broken inside, you know? And so the idea is we have to do the, 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 the difficult work of overcoming our addictions, choosing better behaviors, all that stuff. That's 100% true. Like we cooperate in our salvation. But the idea is things that cannot come from us is where we first must start. So first is my identity. I am not defined by my sin. I, I think for most people, just that portion would bring so much healing and light into people's lives. And that provides a lot of hope, too, I think, which is something that our world, 
is completely lacking, to be honest with you. Yeah, Chesterton had this great line, Catholic author G.K. Chesterton had this great line where he said um, he was sitting down one day with his penny catechism, and he just read in one quote something that symbolized the sins of his age, which was, uh, the sins against hope are presumption and despair. And you just think about that, and he's like, these are the two sins of modernity, right? Like, we presume that heaven is ours, or we despair of ever finding happiness. And it's like, but but there's hope. But mm-hmm. there's hope in the middle. Like, I'm a pessimist, but I got hope, right? <laughs> to quote one of our favorite bands, Brave St. Saturn, the bravest thing of all is always hope. Mm, mm. That's such a good song. Binary <sighs> stop. Sorry. Um, if no, no, Luke, don't stop. You're the- if you guys have a chance, stop what you're doing. Go and listen to Daylight by Brave St. Saturn. And you're welcome. Go on. So starting with identity, uh, my dignity, who I am in God, like what, when God sees the broken mess that I am, does he see the broken mess? Does he pretend like I'm snow, I'm a piece of dung covered in snow or does God acknowledge like this is your brokenness and I'm not going to pretend like it's, it's, it's not there. That's the thing that I think many Catholics do is we presume that, oh, it's not that bad. And the reality is sin is that bad. Pornography is that bad. You want to hurt children? You want to foster a rape culture? Do you want to demean women? Look at porn. Yeah, that's that's bad. You want to have an inability to be affectionate with your spouse? You want to have a disconnect when it comes to loving actual real human beings? Yeah. Pornography is that bad. But what we do in our humanness is we we are our own best salesmen, right? We, uh, I, I do this every so often. I'll be like, how many people in this room have ever been in a sales position? And like five people will raise their hand. I'll be like, actually, every hand should go up because you are the best salesmen and saleswomen when it comes to selling yourself on something that you probably shouldn't do. And, uh, and then we are. We're incredible salesmen convincing ourselves, oh, it's not that bad. But the reality is that sin, uh, the sin of pornography, when it becomes habitual, takes over our thought patterns, takes over our, the way we think about ourselves. You know, and so for instance, this one counselor uh, that I spoke to, I had her come and speak with teenagers. She said that for pornography addicts, um, one of the things she has them do is write down all the messed up thoughts that they have that pop into their head. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, you'll have kids that um, they'll be looking at pornography for years. So they'll see the girl sitting in the group next to her and be like, oh, dude, I just want to strip her naked right now and screw in front of everyone. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah. It's just these perverted thoughts. And, and the kid isn't like thinking that, but it's a thought that pops into his head. And so, yeah, almost like an invasive thought. Yeah. And so she has them write just to get a journal and hide it, but write it down. And she said, when you write it down, you see these things for what they are and you read them and you're like, oh my God, these are horrible. And the shock of that honesty often wakes people up out of those patterns of patterns of thinking. But, you know, it's like, but what, what am I replacing it with? Am I replacing it with? A, a secularism that can't satisfy, or am I replacing it with the God who knows me, God who loves me, God yeah. who saves me? And one of the things that's really hit me right now, uh, especially over this, the past probably three weeks, is that the world – I don't think – well, this is going to be a really heavy statement, but things have gotten so bad that we have to renew our faith each day through daily prayer. I, I'm really at a point now where I think it's almost impossible to live the Christian life without a daily prayer a commitment, like a, like your own personal prayer time. Because it's going to be, it's so hard to replace those thoughts with a something good. 
Yeah. And it's only going to come through other habits and better habits, good habits. Yeah. I mean, the, you can't just push out the bad and then sweep the place clean. It's going to get even worse for you. Mm-hmm. You know, the worst type of alcoholic is a functional alcoholic because the alcoholic that can still go to work. Yeah. Because their fall is going to be 10,000 times greater. It's going to be so much more difficult to break them of their alcoholism because they're able to make it work. You know, they're able, they're able to go to work. They're able to have a job. They're, they're, they might be in disarray, disorder. Their families might be crap, but they can get in a car, drive to work, do the things that are expected of them, get in the car, drive back, probably half cocked and, and still maintain some level of normalcy while diving into the alcohol. The people who hit rock bottom the quickest are actually the luckiest because that drives them to the point of like, well, where else do I turn? But the people who are able to function and prevent that bottom from ever, you know, bottoming out on them, they're the ones that we need to pray for the most. You don't, the, the whole concept of allowing, the whole concept of being able to hide your pain, to hide your sin is the worst thing imaginable that you can do in your life. Hiding your sin from someone, anyone. This is why I love Catholic confession. You literally get to tell people, someone, the worst thing that you've ever done. And then you get to hear the words, I absolve you, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, just think about like how, what is that quote from Derek Webb that we say in relation to episode eight? Uh, The best thing that could happen to any of us was to have all of our, to have our sins broadcast on the five o'clock news. I think that's it. Yeah. And when we think about that, it's because you've stripped away any any pretense of hiding, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, the worst part about me is out there. Now what? And I was just telling a group of people today, we have confession where we tell the worst part about us to someone who is listening and not only do they say I absolve you, but they don't they don't kill you afterwards. They don't they don't tell anyone afterwards. So this is a safe place to tell another human being your brokenness. And so many people do not get that part of the sacrament, that they hide their sins. How do you, how do you get a, hey, physician, I got a knife sticking out of my arm, but I'm not going to show you the wound. How are you going to get healed if you don't show the physician the wound? And you have no idea just on a human level how much healing there is, let alone the sacramental grace mm-hmm. that you get from it. So, yeah, sorry. You were say oh, that. no, no. It, I mean, it would kind of it would take us in a whole other a direction. So keep going. Okay, well, anyway, I don't want to take over the whole episode, but... No, uh, <laughs> but I will. But I will, and I have. Because I'm um, Gomer. God, I talk so much. Luke, today I talked for five hours. I know, dude. That, that's You're like an animal. You're a beast. And I, I, I mean that in the best way possible. Thank you. Thank you, because I'm hairy and I'm large. Mm, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that could come across as awkward. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> where do we go from here? I'll um, tell you where. Back to pornography. <laughs> <laughs> you know what reminds me? It what you, what you were just talking about there really I just I had a thought that dawned to me, and this could be completely wrong. But I think that the yuppie culture, uh, with you know, and and by that I mean a suburban like, you know, your people who live in the suburbs who are upper middle class and higher. I think yeah. it's one of the hardest places to do to do actual ministry in, like one of yeah. the hardest. Because if you, I mean, I think that working within the with in the inner city that is very emotionally demanding, and it it is incredibly needed, and it is taxing. 
but how do you get across the gospel to people who have already actively rejected Christianity at worst or at best are indifferent? They remind me of the functioning alcoholic. Yeah, I mean, I think the worst person to evangelize is a, a fallen away Catholic. Because they can always say to you, yeah, man, I've been there, done that. I just, I'm not interested in religion or whatever. And you're like, oh, my God, you got crap. You didn't get Jesus. You were given junk food, man. You were given crappy, puffy, fluffy sayings and then made to memorize a bunch of stuff. That's not, that's not what we're about. Like, that, that's never been what we're about. That's just what people who run programs do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's a great line from... Uh, your favorite rapper in mine, Propaganda. Hey, hey. Hey, oh, please come on the show. Please, <laughs> please, please. In his, in his album, um, uh, Crimson Court, he has a song called Board of Education. Oh, yeah. And uh, did you listen to it? Yep, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. But he talks about, um, you know, like, we need to wake up and stop realizing we're in the industrial age. Why are you, you know, basically teaching kids like we are? And then he said um, this line, he said, I don't want my kids, my daughter's diploma to be the equivalent of inspected by 22618. And I saw that and I was like, holy crap, that is an excellent way to summarize kind of what we've done in the automation of education. In so many ways, we've, by standardizing too much, you know, and he has that great line, how do you, um, what was it like, how do you, how do you score inspiration and, you know, going to quinceañeras and going to, mm-hmm. you know, the free clinic and keeping people out of handcuffs and all this extra stuff that people do? How do you, where, where's that? How, you know, how can you measure that? No standardized test can do that. Yep. Well, you think about that in terms of our Catholic faith, like, oh my goodness, so many of us were just merely filled up with intellectual knowledge and facts, and and even those were crappy about our Catholic faith, and then said, this is Catholicism, you know, this weak sauce piece of crap that no one would ever want to live for. <laughs> They'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. I, I just, yeah, because the thing is, I don't understand. The faith is hard. It is beautiful. It is amazing. And it is worth it, but it is really hard. And why would you do it if you're lukewarm or if it's just kind of, you know, meh? It doesn't make sense to me. I I was talking with this priest, uh, and he was telling me of the Catholic, very Catholic um, heritage city that he was in here in America. A huge, okay, it was Chicago. And uh, a lot of Catholics in Chicago. And, um, you know, and you just hear all these horrible stories of, you know, weird wacko masses and just things going nuts. And I had never experienced that. All the churches that I've ever been to down in the South were more or less normal. But man, I talked with this one priest and he was like, he just, the, his heart, you could tell had been broken and demoralized so much by being a priest. And we were driving and he just said, uh, and he was just telling me like these stories of how he would get persecuted for just wearing a normal Roman collared shirt. And be like, what the F are you wearing from his brother priest when he's a priest for a week? And he's like, what? And he said he got used to the weird hostility from his brother priests. And so he just responded the most matter of fact way and the shortest way. And he said that was like the most offensive thing I could have done, but it shut it down. He would go, oh, it's because I'm a Catholic priest. Why aren't you wearing yours? And then he would just walk away. <laughs> but he, um, but I would say to him, he's telling me these stories and because it was just so demoralizing. I think for him, it was like a cathartic experience, but... I just looked at him and I said, why are they priests? Yeah. Like, why would someone give up a spouse and children 
and lands <laughs> and all of that. And why booty. would they give? <laughs> Thank you. Why? <laughs> why would they give up all of that to be a crappy, crappy priest? It doesn't make sense. I mean, like I look at that within on my own life, and there have been plenty of times that I've just that I think when I struggled with um, agnosticism. But the most was when I wrestled with this issue, like, why do this? Like, why give up all this stuff? Why devote myself to these things or this other stuff when I'm not sure if this is actually real? Yeah, why? Abstain? I mean, as a young adult, right? I mean, there's so much that's out there oh, yeah. that we cannot partake of. Like, why not participate in the hookup culture? Mm-hmm. Why not get Tinder on my phone and swipe like a girl, connect with her, you have sex, and then move on? There's a, I don't know if you saw the Vanity Fair I article. Did. I did. I was actually going to ask you about that. Oh, my God. That is brutal. I didn't, I'm about three quarters of the way through it. But it's just guys just sitting there. You know, they're at a bar. Are Oh, they're talking to women? No. No, they're all on their phones. They're all on their phones, and so are the women, and they're in the same bar, and they're not talking to each other, and this journalist is just interviewing them. Why are you on your phone? What are you doing? Oh, we're on Tinder. So it's like they're having a girl's night out or a guy's night out, but they still are going to have sex at the end of the evening with random people they meet on Tinder and on Bubble or Hinge or whatever the 50 other things are. I, I, I just oh, – the emptiness. Yeah. I mean, the it's utter like, emptiness. It, it literally sounds like that line out of Alice in Wonderland where she's like running on a treadmill or whatever. She's running on something, and she's like, I, I'm not going anywhere. And then the queen says, well, you got to run twice as fast just to stay in place. I feel like that's what the, this guy's like, yeah, I'm on track right now to, to bone 100 women for this year. I've already had sex with like 40. And I'm just hearing this, and I'm like and, – and every so often they'll let a little truth slip. You know, They'll be like, yeah, but the girls like it too. Yeah, it's miserable. Yeah, it's awful. But the girls do it too. <laughs> yeah, I hate everything it, about myself. Anyways, yeah. Yeah. And then, so you hear this and you're like, just wait. You were so close to just waking the fuck up. Wake up and realize that this is going to, this is robbing you of a future. Well, I don't want kids. I don't want wife. I don't want commitment. I don't need that stuff now. I was like, but you are robbing yourself of a future. Plus, your penis is covered in genital warts. I'm just saying. (laughs) You can't have that much sex and not be swimming with venereal disease. (laughs) afloat you are uncle scrooge duck when he's in like all that gold coins being like you know whatever but instead diseases <laughs> what a wonderful visual these are warts not gold coins <laughs> why does it burn when i pee i was just about to say that no oh, uh, see we think alike we do but yeah i mean you hear this stuff and you're like well I, I, for like right so you you first read this and uh and you you encounter this stuff, and you're there's this part of you, this deep down, very fleshy, broken part of you that says, "Well, why can't I do that? Or I should have done that? Or I'm missing out? Not just on the meaningless sex and all that stuff, but like there's this whole cultural thing that people my age are doing. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, these people are probably ten years younger, but uh, that these <laughs> I have dad bod. That was one of the comments of the girl. She's like, "Ew, look at this guy. He has dad bod," and I'm like. Damn it. <laughs> but right so but right, right there in that moment, what was I doing? Like I had long to use a super scriptural, absurdly scriptural reference. I longed for the flesh pots of Egypt, right? You have the story of the slaves of Israelites being liberated and they're being liberated but it's unpleasant in their liberation process and they just complain. And now they are no longer slaves, they're free. But they long, scripture says, they long for the flesh pots of Egypt. They, they're like, yeah, we were slaves, but we had, at least we have food. 
you know, and it's like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And I, and I feel like that with me, like yeah. you go so far, so much away, and then you kind of do that glance over your shoulder. I've been there at times. Ugh. I definitely, that's, it's, that's why I think community, I'm, it's just so important. It's so, because if not, it's very easy to get lost in that or to think that that's normal or to think that they all have it together, that that's going to make you happy. There's a great line in, um, in, I think it's Psalm 72, where he says he's talking about the wicked and he's becoming envious, maybe 63, he's envious of their success and their prosperity and all this stuff. It literally says, for their bodies are sleek. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So they struggle with body issues all the way back then. <laughs> and uh, comparison trap. Um, <laughs> and he said that uh, their bodies are sleek and they you know feel no pain and blah, blah, blah. And then it describes you know the violence adorns them. Like a, like clothing or whatever, but he says if I were to think as as I as they do, you know, because his heart's like, oh my gosh, like the wicked, they're they're everything's going so well for them, and here we are, you know, we got our God and our temple, and yay us, and we're nothing like them, but we really want to be. And the whole hinge point of that um, psalm is, but then I went into your temple. And I sat down. Basically, he's like, I went into your presence and you showed me their end. And it might be great now, but they're on a slippery slope. And, and you start to realize this. And he actually says, the psalmist says, like, I was too stupid to realize. And I've had to go back to that psalm as, like, my standard go-to verse for the times when the temptation to look over my shoulder at my former life or at those similar sins as my former life uh, former life, and say, like, you know, right when that starts to pull me in, it's like, no, 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 no. I know their end. I know their end. I know that right now they are unhappy. They're high-fiving each other and getting hammered drunk with their bros, but they are utterly miserable. And you hear it in the interviewer's answers or the answers that they're given to the interviewer. 83%, 83% of all college students for now are in counseling and are um, possibly are receiving like heavy medication. 83%. Oh my God. You know, and it's, it's one of the things that I had to admit to myself was that instead of being the prodigal son, like, like we all enjoy other testimony of, I used to get drunk and hook up with girls. Then I found God and life is great now. Yeah. Um, that has been my story at time. But overall, my story is that of the older brother and the story of the prodigal son. Yeah. This idea of I've been here the whole time. And one of the things that I realized through talking with other people who were in the shoes of other prodigal sons just. Oh, yeah, yeah. How horrible that yeah. sounds. You know, and if we believe these things to be true, of course it's going to be awful. Of course everyone's going to put on their best front. And I, I think the hard part is that we think, but I've got my own problems too. Like, yeah. I'm not problem-free. Yeah. So what makes that so special? You know, and that's yeah. something that I'm still trying to wrap up my, my mind around a bit. You know, when I was uh, really struggling hard with the uh, – pornography addiction and I was at Franciscan, I had a, a, a friar that I would meet with. He shared with me the story of the prodigal son and he invited me to look at it a little bit differently. He said, um, he kind of connected with the story of St. Francis's life where St. Francis is this you know rich young man, well-to-do, riding by on a horse, he sees this leper 
and he's disgusted by him, disgusted by him. And then he sees him again. He jumps off the horse. You know, he realizes the call that Christ is telling him to love the person. So he like, you know, whatever. He throws a robe around him, kisses the leper, and gets back on his horse. And when he looks back, the leper is gone. And it's revealed to him that that was Jesus Christ. And uh, the story of it um, from Father, uh, from the, the priest who was talking with me, said, it's kind of like the prodigal son. He said, but when you think of the story of the leper and the rich man in Matthew's God, or in, in, in Scripture, and also in Francis's life, he said, what you need to realize is you are, at your best of times, you're Francis on the horse. You're, the per- you're doing the thing that you kind of like see yourself as. Right. Like you're free from porn, you know, you're free from all this stuff. You're going, you are the person that when people look at you, they see and they admire. And that's good. He said, but then there are times in your secret, quiet, silent self where you're actually the leper, where you have those sins that you don't let anyone else show. You don't share it with anyone. You keep it all bottled up because if they did, they'd hate you and you don't care. It's your disease. It's your rot. It's destroying you, but you keep on, you keep at it. And he said, but the salvation of, of you consists in when the rich man kisses the leper, because at that moment, the, the, the poverty and humility of the leper um, and the, the kind of like the, the heroic level of virtue of the rich man can commingle and the arrogance of the rich man is removed and the, the rot of the leper is healed. And then he connected that to the prodigal son and he said, don't look at yourself as one or the other, because every day you're one or the other. He said, see in yourself how you're both, right? And so I was like, okay, how am I, how am I a prodigal? How am I going away? Well, whenever I struggle with pornography, right, I leave the comfort of my home and I tell God the Father, I'm done with you. Give me my inheritance. Give me the, the internet and give me computers and all of this stuff that I have so that I can go away from you and indulge in this stuff. And then what happens, right? Uh, you know, you, you do the thing and then all of a sudden that wave of shame and guilt overwhelms you. And it's like you're like the poor, the prodigal son who's now poor and you're feeding, you know, you're a Jewish person feeding pigs. Um, and you long to eat their slop, but no one would give you any any of it. You're like destitute. You're empty. You're robbed. Mm-hmm. And you let yourself be robbed. But then at the same time, you're the arrogant older son. Because the first – the prodigal son learned the hard way the lesson of humility. But the older son, though doing righteous things, moralism and all that stuff, he never learned humility. And how many times have I gloated my goodness over others in an effort of self-justification, right? That's why we compare ourselves to other people and say, I'm better than you, which was me and Luke's key phrase when we drive around campus. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Um, we just shout that out. We literally did that. Isn't that funny? It was awesome. We literally would drive around campus at midnight and just shout, I'm better than you at random people. Because we didn't really mean it. That's why it was so funny. It exactly. so unfranciscan. Exactly. We are contrarians. Um but so, anyway, long story short, so the, the, that has always been like constant themes in my life. The prodigal, the arrogant older son, right? You know, the son that, you know, devoured your house. The kid refused to call him my brother and all this stuff. But then I read a book called The Prodigal Son by Henry, Henri Nouwen. And he makes this one statement. And he says, I always picture myself, you know, in stages of my life as the prodigal and then as the elder son. And this woman came up to him and said, yes, father, I understand that. But your call is to be the father. I like that. Yeah, your call is to be the father. And what did the father do? He went out and reconciled the first son and the second. 
At least he was in the process. The story actually cuts off with the eldest son not being reconciled, but it kind of ends it open-ended. Um, but that's the that's the goal. You got to be on your footsteps or on your tippy toes, uh, waiting to run to forgive other people. But what are we doing? Well, I'm not going to forgive them until they ask for forgiveness. Or you know, like we do all these selfish things. But man, how much did we need that mm-hmm. when we were the prodigal? And if we can't see that. If we can't see, if we withhold our forgiveness from other people, that is almost blasphemy of our father because of what he did for us. You know, that uh, um, propaganda has a line that I stole, <laughs> a thing that I re- uh, used, uh, where he said, um, and I, I've got just as much of the blood of Jesus on my hands as you have on yours. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the, that's the same, the prodigal and the elder son. It's like the elder son can't see, he can only see the other person's faults, but he can't see his own. And that's his biggest fault. That's one of the things that I love about our faith is that that gives me such hope. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think that's one of the most important parts of, of our faith is the hope that we can be, we can, we, you know, at, at one moment we can be the father. And, and then the next minute we could possibly be back and, you know, oh, the son who is straight, but there's the hope we can always go back to that. Yeah. And let me say this to everyone who's listening. Your vocation is to be the father. Your vocation is to reconcile those who are far off and those who are near. Your vocation is to go out. You're apostolate as a layperson, which is just a fancy word meaning your mission. Your mission as a layperson, if you're not a priest or religious or something like that, you are called to do the work of reconciliation. And when you look in your heart at the darkest, deepest, most wretched parts of your heart, that is where God is doing his work. Like he's already working. The greatest single act that God the Father can do for you is to father you, not to spoil you. And so when you encounter the story of the prodigal son, it's like, this is the crazy lengths the father would go to to save you. And then you look at back and you're like, well, what am, what am I doing to save other people? To me, what I find, Luke, like that is helpful is our, okay now I'm patting myself on the back but is episode 8 like how far are we willing to debase ourselves potentially in the eyes of employers and and parishioners and other people that we know oh my god they they look at porn they've seen this stuff they you know this and that but we have to do that we have to debase ourselves in one respect in order to be alongside and accompany the prodigal yeah But at the same time, we have to be morally upright and converted in order to then go to the arrogant elder son who won't listen to a prodigal. He needs to listen to someone who is on par with him in virtue, but also at the same time has humility and love and can tell him, these are your faults, Pharisee. You know, that's the thing is we're not called to be a Pharisee one day, you know, and a Roman (laughs) the next. We're called, we're called to be Christ reconciling, reconciling these two. So my biggest thing is you, you owe the world to be father, to do that, to become the father in that story, people. If you're listening to this, I hope for the love of Jesus Christ that you're staring in front of your computer and you're, you're tempted. You're in that moment of temptation. Do I look at porn? It could just a couple keystrokes and I'm there. It's in it. It's, you know, all this stuff. I can get lost in it for the next two hours. And you hear your call to be father, to reconcile the prodigals. And it makes you stop. And say, he did that for me. Why would I do this to myself? Why would I go back to this foreign land? I know it's bankrupt. I know it'll leave me empty. And then you realize, I'm called to be more than this, right? So it's like my identity. I'm called to be more than this. And then that propels you to do that for other people. 
And then you start realizing that hurting people do, in fact, hurt others. That's a fact of human nature. Hurting people hurt others. But the fact of supernature is healed people can heal others. And once you let that grace of Christ come in, dude, go nuts. Go out there and don't be afraid to be vulnerable with this stuff mm-hmm. because you never know who's listening. There's a line about, I have to remember who said this, but it's basically about you're able to make a friend when a person goes, I struggle with that too. Mm. I mean, that's true. I mean, just even about like, it doesn't even have to be about the spiritual life or faith yeah. and more also be about, I'm a Bengals fan. Me too. Isn't it horrible? <laughs> and then you have like an instant friend. <laughs> You know, so when you're able to relate instead of, you know, um, holding a newspaper over a person's head being like, no, no, no. Being like, yeah, isn't that crazy? (laughs) Like what cool things can come out of that? Yeah. I mean, nothing cements friendships better than suffering together, because that means that you're not you haven't left the other person when the suffering starts. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many people do we know just have our, our friends because it's fair weather friendships? You know, like, oh, yeah, things are going well right now. Therefore, I'm going to be your friend. We need to have a, a people in our lives that are, are unafraid to suffer with us. And, if, and this, is, this is my best piece of advice. That, that's a tall order. I mean, for a lot of people, especially young adults, they're not, they don't have people in their lives. These Tinder freaks, they don't have people. Now, I know there's legitimate uses of Tinder, but come on. I, come I, on. I have a hard time with that. I, I mean, there's some people that immediately respond to that article like, we just used it to go on dates and meet new people and to do the exact opposite of hiding behind social media and not having conversations. We do it in order to have those conversations. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's like Snapchat. I went up to a person and I found out they had Snapchat when, I, when it first came out. And I go, why do you have Snapchat? And they're like, oh, my gosh, me and my friends love Snapchat. And I was like, that is like the sexting app of choice. And she looked at me with utter horror and she goes, what do you mean? And I was like, it's a picture that you set when it deletes. So there's no record. Well, there's, well, there's a record of it. You just don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they claim that they don't have it either, but they clearly do. Um, but like dick pics, <laughs> like that's what Snapchat. Hey, I took a snap on my dick and sent it to you. <laughs> Let's chat. That's what that comes from. But uh, they're like, no, no, no. And we love it because it sends you a notification whenever someone screenshots it. I'm like, right. So whenever they keep the image, it alerts you. Oh, my God. Call a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> it might as well have said that in the notification oh, bar. I feel bad because I just downloaded Snapchat last night. Um, Will you snap me? Totes snap me. Totes. Uh, but she was horrified. She never you never even thought of it good. that way. That's good. I know. So I'm like, there probably are some Tinderers who aren't, but maybe there are. And you're so broken. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is seeking God. It's good. It's from Chesterton, and the follow up you have to say is in the wrong place to be sure. <laughs> and this is the this is the other thing about like prayer, right? Is when you're struggling with pornography addiction. Part of it, part of your prayer has to be, Jesus, what I'm seeking in porn, let me find in you, right? Because you're not just looking for body parts. You're looking for fulfillment. You're looking for satisfaction. You're looking for hope. You're looking for, you're looking to feel like a man or feel like a woman. You're looking for that, you know, all these different things, an emotional connection, whatever yeah. it is. I know. I think that the biggest thing that I wanted from with all the girls that I, I, that I dated or hooked up with or whatever was just to be like, tell me that I'm good. Tell me that I'm good. Tell me that I'm good. Tell me that I'm okay. Tell me that you accept me. Tell me that I'm good. But then when the the thing is when you go through that enough, right? So I don't think you went through that enough 
the tell me I'm good because then what ends up happening is your heart gets a little bit calloused. Mm, yeah, yeah. And you stop caring about whether or not I need you to tell me if I'm good and you're just going on to the next conquest. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I don't think I ever got to that point. And just to let you know, someone is firing fireworks in my neighborhood filled with small children. I hate it. I hate it. But okay. So anywho, um, the pornography episode, if you haven't listened to it, you should go back and listen to it. Just understand all the stuff that we're talking about. But if you yourself are struggling with pornography, masturbation, sexual fantasizing that you can't get rid of, um, wandering eyes that check out every body part that passes by you, what you need to do is realize, number one, that there is hope. And the hope is not based in you. You suck. <laughs> like, I suck. I am not. I, I have problems. That's why I have no hope. Having hope means I transfer the place of myself, of my confidence. I take it from me, which is broken and falling, and I acknowledge that, and I put it in him, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if I can transfer the source of my confidence from self to Jesus, making it Christocentric, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, if you do that, yes. right? Oh, (laughs) nothing but inside jokes here today, (laughs) folks. That becomes the place of renewal is because then you say, okay, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. So you're praying. You're like, God, here I am. I'm knocking on the door of the brothel digitally, right? I'm I'm at that website. I know, I know what I want to look at. My heart is pounding. My blood is coursing through my veins. I'm, I'm, I'm desiring pornography. And then all of a sudden you, you stop for one second and you're like, what am I really looking for here? Why am I here? This stuff never satisfies me. This stuff never brings me wholeness, never brings me happiness. Why the hell am I here? And then you say, God, whatever that freaking reason is, I want you to give it to me and not this, not them, not this thing. Mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm done. And then you fall on your knees and you pray. Pray, 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 pray. Like a psychopath. Pray, 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 pray. That's true. And I think also as well, just to add on to that, that proactively taking actions to remove yourself from the, from that, from being in that spot again is good. So yeah. for example, like when you go into your, when you go to bed at night, don't bring your phone with you. Like oh, put the charging clock. station down, but in your kitchen, Yeah, leave it there, let it charge overnight. But that's my alarm. Grow up, spend $7 on an alarm clock. <laughs> yeah. That's probably more reliable. Kids um, under the age of, uh, 28 let's talk about alarm clocks there is this thing that you plugged into a wall and it would go and that was a sign that was time to wake up i was just gonna keep going until you stop me no i would and i was never gonna stop you. good work i was gonna snooze you for nine minutes nine times always eight minutes Oh, not mine. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you got to be smart. We call that in the Catholic Church near occasions of sin, occasions of sin. What were you doing that leads you, that always cycles you up for that, walking down that bad path, bringing up those bad patterns of thinking? What are you doing? Now, for me, one of the difficult things is being in a room all by myself, everyone else is gone, and I'm on the computer. Oh, that's how I podcast, right? So that these are things that um, that to a certain point are dangerous for me. And so I got to let my wife know about that. Right. So I got to be like, all right, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing it. There you go. This is the, you know, so you got to set up for yourselves. Uh, you gotta be smart. Don't be stupid. Um, a friend of mine is a drug addict. He had to change his route on his way home because he couldn't pass by that same exit that he would always take to get his drugs. Mm -hmm. 
If he drove by it, he would do it. So you just you gotta you gotta be smart. I like that, Luke. Um, when you turned away from like looking at internet porn, what what was like a, a trigger for you? I mean, like not what triggered you to turn away, but like what would be some of the things that you would put up? Like the you know, I mean, in college we didn't have cell phones, or we barely had cell phones. Oh God, we're so old. We didn't have we, <laughs> I we certainly didn't have. Yeah, no I was going to our senior year. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's when we all got cell phones. Um, but think about it. Like right now you have a high definition screen in your pocket with broadband always on internet connection. How do you fight pornography in this world? You know, I thought that too. Like, could you imagine what we would have been like if we had had the stuff that they had in college? Oh, I don't even, I don't even know how people are. There's Tinder. I know. (laughs) We were at a Franciscan, like, Every semester, there was like one or two girls where something you'd screw up and like, you know, something would happen. Like, I can't imagine now what it would be like. You mean like you'd accidentally kill them? What is the something no, that I mean, would happen? I, I remember going on like online one time and telling a girl, hey, let's make out. And then like, she was like, okay. I was like, okay. And it was like, because of like AIM chat. I was about to say AOL instant message. Yeah. AIM. And could you imagine having like text messaging? Let alone Tinder. Like, let alone that. Having like, where everyone has it or something where you can hide it on easily, like on uh, Snapchat or, or whatever. There's no record of it. Yeah. Like, could you, or just, could you, or, and just growing up in such a sexualized culture, like my heart just breaks for a lot of these kids who are, you know, only a couple of years. I mean, even for people our own age, like it's just so hard. It's so, because you have so many trigger things that are just like out of nowhere, just come up. You know, yeah. like you go yeah. on Instagram, you hit oh, the search button. And all of a sudden, like if you follow any athletes, like crazy things come up and it's like, I don't want to use this. So I, I don't use oh, the search button on Instagram. What do you mean? What, oh, like athletes taken? Well, yeah, because it's just like what it'll do is it their algorithm will you'll see a bunch of bunch of other pictures related to who you follow. So okay. if you follow like a lot of like athletes or like rock stars, it's like a lot of like scandalous, stupid stuff. Oh, gotcha. And so gotcha. I just kind of had to learn, like, okay, don't do that. That's really dumb. Um, if you were to do that to J.J. Watt, would just, like, trucks come up and ice cream? <laughs> I think that's what would happen. Tons of Texas stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, don't suffer alone. Yeah. Why burn poor and lonely? What is the, what is the line? What is the line? Uh, why, why burn so poor and lonely till all the stones are going to build a – I don't remember. Oh, that used to be my favorite song of all time, and I am so old and tired right Why? now. Yeah, like, well, there's something like, about a strumming a guitar. Why yeah. pluck one string? Why, Why sound? Why? What, what good is one string? Well, well, one note is fine, I guess. But why pluck one string when you can strum the guitar? Strum the guitar, and you're afraid, and we're afraid, and everyone's afraid. We don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to be afraid anymore. You played the flute and no one was dancing. And you just kept going with the song, Luke. <laughs> yeah, sorry. They were so good live. So I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, okay. So I want to end this podcast. Um, precious, precious sleep. With, yes, running to sleep. Actually, I got to take my daughter and get her to go to the bathroom. Aww. It is the most frustrating thing. I mean, oh, boo. 
<laughs> oh, that's the boo 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 She's so my second daughter is the funniest person on the face of the earth. She will say the most. She is perpetually drunk. It seems like, and she <laughs> says the funniest, craziest shit when you are taking her to the bathroom so she doesn't pee the bed. Like, and she always does it for Shannon. She rarely ever talks with me because I always tell her, I go, "Hey, honey, I'm just taking the bath." I'm, I'm like very like reassuring and gentle. Yeah, and. uh and when I put her on the bathroom, I just talk the whole time so that she just just does it and gets done. And uh, but Shannon will sit there and is quiet and will ask her questions and all this stuff. And she just because Shannon knows she's gonna say the craziest shit on the face of the earth. <laughs> and the other day she was like, "But I don't know about the triplets." We're like, "You know what triplets are, okay?" <laughs> she's like, "We can't with all the sun out there." And you're like. What dream is this? <laughs> I want to enter into your world. <laughs> I feel Inception. like she's going to be a fun partier in college. And, and I mean that in the best way. I hate you. <laughs> like, I feel like your daughter is going to grow up and dominate the sorority scene. No, 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 no. What I mean, like, because she's going to have, like, because she's just so, like, energetic and fun. We're going to call her the rowdy reigns of <laughs> my house. She reigns. Oh man. oh, man. Talk about an authentic partier. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no, she's the only girl. How do I put this? I don't know because I work with her. So put Wait. it gently. You do? Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I didn't realize that she worked at the parish. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I t- told you today that all of her friends came during our oh, parish staff retreat. Oh, I thought you meant to just like, stop by. Um, no, 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 no. She is the only girl I've ever met that. Like, can scandalize me, but not in like just for what she says or has scandalized me by what she said. Like, I mean, in the best way possible. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you 13 years ago? Dude, do you realize we've known each other for 14 years now? Yeah, I realize that. Easy. Right after you said it. That is crazy. Mm. 14 years. So, Luke, what are you listening to? Um, right now, oh, damn it. I wrote something down to bring this up and I forgot. I have not listened to him recently, but he's still one of one of my all time favorites. Charles Mingus probably wrote the best. Well, probably wrote and played the best jazz album ever. Like that's believe it's called the Black Saint and oh, the Sinner Lady. It's amazing. The Black Saint and the Sinner Lady. Really, really good. That was my nickname in high school. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, <laughs> right now, I'm listening to uh, Propaganda. Oh, I'm listening so to a good. lot. I've listened to. Excellence and Crimson Cord at least all the way through at least 20 times in the past week. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I so have a problem. For all of our listeners, we had a brief interaction with him on Twitter where we tried to get him on the podcast. I think he was just humoring us. Yeah. But propaganda, if somehow you listen to this episode, because we're going to tag you in it, please, please. Do we come across as desperate? <laughs> but no, I've listened to him and okay, so that Saturday thing where I drove down to do um that event down in uh this this event that I did down in um Richmond, Texas, an hour and a half in my car. I listened to his two albums back to back just constantly. Um uh, went back and hit some keys and I like just drove and cried. <laughs> like literally I was so sad that I was leaving my family, my wife, you know, all this stuff. And I'm driving and there's this song, uh I ain't got an answer, and it's just about like well, it's apparent that you failed as a parent. And I'm like, oh, I have. I'm a liar. I'm horrible. And, you know, this uh, the words that he says, it just cuts me to the cord, the crimson cord. Um, but then I used him today 
and my parish staff retreat that I was leading um, as a way to call people back after the break, uh, which was really heavy on like sin and repentance and all this stuff. Um, before the break, after they went on break, and then when they came back, I shut off all the lights in the whole place, and I played the um, the first song, on, the first track on that album, You Mock Me. Mm, yeah. And I turned off all the lights in the whole youth room and blared it. And the whole song, if you haven't heard it, the you have to just hear it. I'm not going to say because I feel like there literally is a spoiler in that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's what I've been listening to. I, I really like it. I've been listening to that and a lot of Michael Jackson because my daughters love Bad, Beat It, uh, Billie Jean. Nice. Um, Smooth Criminal. And they, they, they dance to it. They dance like crazy. Even my son Noah, he, they just go nuts for it. They, that and the VBS CD. Which are the most painful things on the face of the earth. <laughs> I mean, when you have kids, Luke, you and you experience vacation Bible school. I need to go and hang out with your kids again. It's been too long. It has been too long. And you know what else has been too long? This podcast. This podcast, exactly. <laughs> um, but you know it's not too long? Your wedding day yeah. coming quickly. Seriously. Three weeks. Three weeks, mother. Three weeks. Oh, man, I got to get a suit. Shit. Yeah, you shit, shit. Great suit, dude. Uh, go online and just like rent a suit. Hey, what if I don't do that? And <laughs> what if I wear a gray sweater vest? Yeah, sure, why not? Uh, your your fiance is going to murder you for saying that. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, so you can find us at Seafox's Podcast on Twitter. I'm at Lay Evangelist. I'm at the Luke V. We're also on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash catching foxes podcast. Facebook.com slash Catching Foxes Podcast. It always goes down smooth. All right, man. You stay classy. Everyone, become the father. Become the father. Become. Okay. Then we go to bed. Good night, buddy. Good night. Mr. Wayne. Mr. Wayne.